All right, so let's talk a little bit about the markets here. Welcome to Bull Bear Radio. Market pricing is nuts. Each week, we catch up with WBI's experts, Matt and Don Schreiber. Down 77%. You know what you need to recover from that? A miracle. WBI brings you wealth building market insights. Hi, I'm Matt Schreiber, and this is Bull Bear Radio. Don Schreiber, you out there, man? Yeah, Matt, I'm here. How you doing today? We're we're doing great, man. I think we should uh, get an endorsement deal with Skype or something, because you know this this can work pretty good sometimes. Uh, I'm I'm right here in uh, you know Red Bank, New Jersey. Don's out in Scottsdale, Arizona today. We're coming at you with Bull Bear Radio here. Hey, follow us at Bull Bear Radio on Twitter, uh, and you'll get. A lot more news and insights. Also, Don at uh, WBI CEO. My handle's WBI President. Anyway, Don, hey, man, crystal ball predictions. Last time we were talking about the, the, the national championship, college football, you said that Bama was going to win, beat the dogs. You were right, man. Crystal ball prediction number one for 2018. You just, you just, uh, you, you're right. You're one for one, man. One for one, bro. Yeah. I mean, Nick's, Nick Saban's not. Uh, feeling so nasty at the moment. He's he's feeling good. Yeah, man. The Sabinator gets he's it got done. A sixth, sixth win. Ties Bear Bryant big time. Yeah, man. Yeah. So hey, let's 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 talk about some more crystal ball predictions. We were talking a little bit about that last episode, but let's let's continue along that path. So Dow twenty six thousand, man. You think we can actually reach the twenty six thousand mark this year? I think Dow twenty eight k by june wow so we're gonna we're gonna we're gonna blow right past 26 first half gonna gonna blow past 27 we're gonna get to 28 by june is is what you're saying i think that's pretty easy to do you're only talking about a little bit around a 10 percent move at the moment almost a little bit more than 10 percent. we're already up a, a few percentage points for the year so uh i'm not i'm not i'm not betting against you on that one so uh Don says Dow twenty eight thousand by June. What are some of the sectors, Don? You think are going to make that happen? Well, I think energy is going to continue to be strong. The last uh, couple of years, energy has had the best, uh, certainly in two thousand seventeen, quarter over quarter after, uh, you know, consecutively the best earnings trend. I wouldn't count energy out to, you know, continue to lead on the energy side. We've got higher energy prices. You know, uh, $60 a barrel, uh, uh, a number, It's it, it looks good. I think that uh, sure. natural gas is going to look strong. So I like energy. I like materials. Well, hey, it's been... Materials, a- number two, number two uh, performing uh, sector last year from an earnings standpoint. I think it continues. I think manufacturing's back. So it's going to gain strength. Okay. Gain strength. Industrials, too. You know? So you're saying energy, materials, industrials. Hey, back to energy. I mean, we've had a brutal, you know, so far start to the winter season here. So I, I would concur with your trend there. I mean, we had a bombo snowstorm cyclone here. Ringing, yeah, yeah. So I think those, those uh, you know, uh, companies in those sectors do well. What do you think about financials? I mean, if, if you're talking, you know, Dow 28,000, I would imagine that the economy is going to perk up. The Fed might raise interest rates here this year, well, or continue their trend of in, uh, rising uh, rates. You think that benefits financials? Financials are going to look really strong. 
they're going to almost every financial is going to take a one-time tax hit uh, for uh, repatriation offshore, but they're going to unlock 85% of the capital that's been trapped offshore. They get to use that to, uh, you know, reinvest in the company, do M&A, do buybacks, increase dividends. I think financial services are going to look really good in 2018. All right. So, hey, look, tech has been a big piece of this uh, this market run over the last couple of years. Do you think tech continues its run or does the tech trade, you know, fade? Um, what What's your prediction here for 2018 on, on tech, Don? Do you think it's it's more of the same? I mean, we're, we're in this kind of cycle where tech's been hot. More people have more phones, you know, technology, uh, software, all this stuff is, you know, getting bigger, stronger, faster. Does tech continue its run to a certain extent? Leadership position fade? What do you think? Tech are the companies that uh, dominate the indexes. So as long as you have these passive uh, index focused investors, all the money, all the capitals flowing into the passive index. These are the largest cap weighted companies in the S&P 500 as an example, or in the NASDAQ, or even in the Dow. And as the money flows into those passive products, we get this massive, massive uh, trade into passive indexes because they keep going up. Um, you got to see these cap weightings increase, stock prices rise. I do think value um, is going to be a, a, a bit a bit stronger. I'd rather invest on the value side of the equation. There are still plenty of companies that have a better value proposition than the tech and momentum trade. And, you know, buy low, sell high. Investors do the opposite of that during their lifetime. They yeah. typically are selling when they should be buying and they're buying when they should be selling yeah and we'll talk a little bit about well, more about these trends in the second half of, of the episode today i've got some some interesting stats to uh to share with everybody here but um you know so value did strong second half of last year versus growth uh you're you're saying that you think growth will continue its its run due to passive indexing but value's not to be underestimated is that about about what you're thinking on your crystal ball prediction there you bet. If you're a good stock picker, you got to be on the value side of the equation. If you just want to follow the trend higher, which people did in 1999, and then they crashed into the NASDAQ tech bubble bursting in 2000, I think we're going to see something similar. If the index trade, the passive index trade starts to come apart, it is going to shred investors' capital base. Yeah, well, does this sound familiar to you? Following a year of rapid interest rate increases by the Federal Reserve, excitement over dot-com companies helped push stock indexes to new highs by the end of 1995. It's a chart in Wall Street Journal this past weekend. I mean, uh, we're, we're on the cusp here of, of maybe interest rates rising. There's a lot of interest in passive indexing and, and in tech and the growth trade here could this end badly in the next couple of years you think i think it does end badly i think whenever you see overvaluation at these levels and we start to get euphoria and speculation across you know the investor base thinking that the markets continued will continue to go up forever um i yeah you know i don't think so a lot of times you know you buy on the rumor and sell on the news the news is we've got the tax act. The news is that we've got a small infrastructure bill following if we can get 
you know, a budget deal. If well, we can well, get a budget they deal. Just a huge, oh, oh. They just had a huge defense uh, you know, spend uh, that I read about this past weekend. So defense and aerospace could be a, a huge beneficiary of... Uh, continued spending on the uh, you know the defense side of the equation here, so that's pretty interesting. It was uh, well, I think we're gonna I think we're gonna build our defense, build the war machine, um, you know, make the uh, armed forces in the United States strong again. We've had a lot less spending than what well, was well because needed. of sequestration and such. So yep, you know, um, I, I and they've cut so much spending so deep across all the branches of the military. So even in marginal increases. It's going to be huge for these defense contractors. But, hey, let's let's talk a little bit about small and mid-cap versus large cap. Large cap has, has clearly been, been you know, beaten, uh, you know, small and mid-cap over the last couple of years. Do you expect the large cap trend, you know, to continue here? Large cap outperforms small and mid-cap. What's your what's your take on that, Don? I, I'm loving these crystal ball predictions. This is, this is cool. So what do you think there? So listen. Listen, you know, large cap is going to be tough to beat in the first half, even maybe in 2018, because of the crowded index trade, right? People are pouring money into the large cap uh, indexes. I think the small cap, and you know, if, and, and there's really two questions, Matt. One is, do stocks, do companies who have all this money coming off from offshore, their repatriated capital, do they use a decent portion of that for buybacks well you know i uh, buybacks were down from their high in in what 2015 right don so it's last year but I, I think you know you're on to something with uh you know companies flush with this new cash will continue to go back to a tried and true method to uh try and make their earnings per share look really attractive to investors it also, you know, it's, it's I, I so I think the buyback trend continues a little bit. But at the same time, they're going to be those companies that, you know, add more jobs potentially. Last year, by the way, was the seventh straight year where we saw two million plus jobs added for the economy. Do you think this trend continues? You talk about buybacks. Will the companies use some of that cash actually to add more workers or maybe even increase wages? So do you think the streak continues two plus million workers this year? Or do you think the, the trend, uh, uh, you know, subsides here? I think the trend has got to weaken somewhat. I think we're going to see uh, competition for, uh, you know, new employment. I think wages move higher. I think inflation becomes something that uh, is starting to rock higher, certainly by the first end of the first half. And I think that's why the Fed starts to get real nervous and starts to raise interest rates. But if we get back to buybacks for a minute, if these companies buy back stock, yep. large cap companies are the ones that are buying back the stock. And I think that they're going to definitely zoom higher. Small and mid cap companies are going to do great because they just got a huge earnings boost. Typically, they pay, uh, they were paying tax at the 35% rate, now only 21%, 40% net increase in earnings. These companies long term look like the biggest beneficiaries of the tax act. Yeah, and, large and, cap, and the companies, large cap are, companies don't get quite as big a delta on their tax uh, burden yeah. because they typically were taking advantage of maybe a 23 to a 25% tax rate. And so moving from 25 to, to 21 is not a big delta in terms of improving earnings. Well, small and mid-cap companies that are publicly listed will be able to 
add more workers and such. So this should be a, a boon for, for the job market, I would imagine, uh, you know, for those people that are looking for work. And, um, you know, uh, even companies that are private, you know, that, that's going to be a lot of cash that you could reinvest in the business. So maybe, maybe the trend actually does continue for, for jobs this year. I, I think that the demand will be there. I just don't know that the workers will be there. You, you're right, Matt. 60% of the uh, U.S. employment comes from small and mid-sized companies, not from large cap. The big, the, you know, people don't uh, realize that it's not the behemoth companies that are going to add workers. It's the small and mid-cap players that are trying to grow fast and compete with their larger counterparts. Sure. Well, you know, uh, it, it's interesting, too, because, you know, unemployment is at 4.1 percent uh, through the end of the year. Yet labor force participation for prime age workers, 25 to 54, is actually lower still than it was, you know, pre-recession. So um, you would think that some more of these folks start to, you know, uh, re-enter the workforce. Plus, you have all these, you know, uh, kids coming out of college, and and uh, you know could be, um, you know, also uh, coming into the labor force as well. So there should be a lot of competition there. Wages, I would think, would rise as as you're saying as well too, because wages have been flat. You know, they're actually the the percentage increase on an annual basis is way below what it was in, you know, 2007. Um, so. Um, I- I think that changes this year. I think we're going to start to see wages actually pop. I think that's one of the big changes in in uh, you know 2018 over the prior cycle. Hey, you know, and that'll that'll lead to inflation, like you were saying that, right? Wages rise will lead to a little uh, to 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 a little uh, price pressure and and some inflation. You were, I think, I caught that a minute ago, right? Yeah, that's what causes the Fed to start to get nervous. And, you know, one of the other things I think is uh, another trend that will continue is, you know, in 2017 marked the seventh year in a row that equities outperformed bonds. The only other period that ended with seven years of outperformance on equities over bonds was in 1928 before we went into the 1929 stock market year that ended in the crash all the right depression. so you're you're talking about maybe some more volatility in the second half of this year maybe the market gives up some of its early year gains and let's 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 dust off the crystal ball for 2019 then is 2019 uh, the beginning of 2019 a, a tough tough start to the year potentially i think 2019 gets to be a very risky period i would bet that bonds outperform stocks in 2019. And and are you thinking maybe the 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 really bad dirty word recession could be, you know, real rear its ugly head in in 19? Absolutely. 2019, we're going to be on recession watch going into the uh end of 2018 because the Fed always causes a recession and the reason why that happens is they raise rates too far, too fast. They cause an inverted yield curve. The markets give up their return sets. Bonds typically do very poorly during this period of time and then have a snapback in the following year. I think 2019, by the end of the year, looks okay for bonds. It's going to be a lot of capital, you know, looking for the safety uh, of bonds and, you know, the flight to capital on the safety side. 
Treasuries okay. look good. So, so final crystal, not a crystal ball prediction, but what, what do you think for GDP this year? Let's go to switch gears fast, and we're going to take a break after this. But, you know, GDP strong in Q3 last year. Are you expecting a, a strong Q4 number, Q1, Q2 looking good? And what's been, what drove uh, the strong number in Q3? So first, your crystal ball prediction. What do you say? I think you set a four handle on GDP. Do you think that's for the entire year or just for the beginning of the year in 18 here? Okay, so for the last eight years, nine years, we've had a subpar sub two. GDP growth rate, yeah, right? Close to two. About two about two percent or a little bit less. I think we get to a three percent GDP growth rate this year, which for is the a year. huge jump. Okay. Yep. Most people are most people are forecasting two and a half to three percent. I think we're gonna be at three to possibly three and a half percent. Okay. I think we do get. I think we do get a four handle within the next two quarters. So for Q four, Q one, maybe. Yep. Maybe Q one or Q two of two thousand and eighteen, we're going to get a four handle on GDP. I think it's going to be a number that is very good for the market and causes concern at the Federal Reserve. Again. We're on interest rate watch. The Fed's going to raise rates. Are they going to raise more than three times? Are they going to raise more than 25 basis points at each clip? Or are they going to get aggressive to shut down what they think is now a huge change, a sea change in GDP? Now, one of the things that's important, I I just break this down each um, quarter, Q3, um, of 2017 over Q3 of 2016, the big uh, change was in business investment. If we look at the annualized growth rate over this cycle, this recovery cycle versus the prior two recovery cycles, what we do is we see that business investment, the second component of GDP over consumer spending, is uh, averaging in this cycle since 2010 through the uh, third quarter of 2017 about 6.85% annualized growth rate which is about 1.3% better than the average of the prior two periods so business investment strong i think business investment is what carries us to the uh, 3 plus gdp growth level and i think we're going to have a very strong uh, gdp the consumers hanging in there they're they've been growing um, a little bit better than the full cycle. They're up, up about 4% versus 3.5% year-over-year uh, growth in consumer spending. I think that continues. I think the fresh capital could give it a slight boost. And and the big surprise is that government spending for the first time in this cycle is up in the third quarter. I think that was a contributor. I think we're going to see because of... You know, the defense spending that you called out sure. and the infra- infrastructure spending that's coming, government is going to start helping for the first time in this cycle grow the economy, contribute to GDP growth. All right. So we're going to take a break here and we'll be back in just a moment. Uh, we'll see you in a second. Do you need income? WBAI's retirement income strategy focuses on keeping investors' capital base intact in order to grow and provide income leading to and in retirement. The strategy combines dividend-paying stocks with high-quality corporate or high-yield bonds. Learn more at WBIinvestments.com. 
Any investment involves risk, including the possibility of loss. Please listen to important information at the end of this podcast. And we're back. Uh, I want to remind everybody, you know, check us out on LinkedIn. Check us out on Twitter. Always, I mean, kind of continuously plugging these, but, you know, um, we really want to try and get our our content, our value-added content out to you, to your investors. We really want to try and help people with this commentary, and that's that's why we do it. So uh, that's why we do the podcast. So at Bull Bear Radio on Twitter, um, by the way, have a really big announce we, announcement. Jeez, man, I do a radio show. I got to start learning how to talk here. Uh, we'll have a big announcement next week on the podcast. Exciting stuff is happening here at, at WBI as usual. So we're going to come at you with a big surprise next week. And I think it's going to be um, you know great for your ears. So we'll, we'll, uh, we'll talk to you uh, about that more next week. But hey, Don, listen, IPOs, man. Um, there's been less and less publicly traded companies. We're about half the public traded companies we were in the mid nineties. Do you think index, the indexing craze index, uh, ETFs have killed the IPO? I think there's a lot of reasons that, uh, you know, uh, IPOs are lower. I think the biggest killer of IPOs has been over-regulation by the prior administration. And one of the things we hope that the uh, Trump administration's reduced regulation does is make it more attractive for companies to go public or to stay public. Hey, Matt, over the last few years, we've seen a lot of companies take themselves private. What do you think's going on? Well, I I, I mean, I, I would agree with you. Index, you know, I, I'm sorry, not index. There's There's been this insane regulation to be a public company. So if you're a private company that's looking to go public, you know, you have to jump through all these hoops and hurdles to to do that. And it's it's tough, you know, and 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 why would you do that? So, you know, especially when you might be able to take on a private equity partner. And from what I've heard, uh, you know, private equity uh, firms are awash in capital and are really looking to take, you know, long term stakes in companies and get a a higher rate of return, higher growth potential. Uh, and, and so this might be attractive to a lot of smaller, mid-sized, you know, uh, private companies just to stay private instead of going, instead of going public. Does that sound, uh, would you agree with that notion or? Well, you know, some of the times you see private equity guys talk about permanent capital, but I think that's a misnomer. I think that they're going to look to take the companies public. I do think that there's been a lot of competition in private equity in all areas of small and mid-sized companies, and they've had to pay up. And so they've got to essentially put these companies into the incubator, get them to be uh, growing faster and bigger to meet their hurdle rates. You know, they want to get a very high rate of return. 20 30 percent on invested capital typically they can do that in three to five years i think because you know the price at which they're acquiring companies is relatively you know high because the markets that are all-time highs it's going to take longer for these companies to stay in incubation maybe it's seven to ten years before they see a window of opportunity to get these big returns what about big companies gobbling up companies I mean, before they, yeah. they ever get a chance? I mean, yeah. I mean, you know, you think about the cheap debt environment and such, and, and these big, uh, you know, companies, you know, have a ton of capital on the balance sheet or, or can float a bunch of debt and buy, buy companies, you know, and, and gobble them up like Pac-Man, for God's sake. So, you know, you see Apple doing that. You see... 
you know, uh, Microsoft to a certain extent, Google, uh, the defense uh, companies. If anybody's got a small piece of technology, uh, you know, these companies seem to get gobbled up before they could even think about going, uh, you know, to, to the public markets. So, um, sure. Well, the biggest venture capital players are some of the companies that you just talked about. I mean, Apple, Google, you know, all these companies have their own VC uh, divisions. And they're buying up everything. Even you the big even banks do too. Anymore. Yeah, you don't even hear about it anymore. So, so, so this takes off, I think, some of the IPO uh, activity you'd have because a lot of the big companies, the big company leadership that you have right now, um, you know, is, is just gobbling up some of these, these these companies. So to a certain extent, you know, I, I think it's been less attractive, like you said, because of regulation. Um, also, at the same time, where's everybody putting the money would be my point in terms of where are investors investing capital when they go to invest these days? Only in the large cap companies, baby. That's and, what the indexes are. S&P 500, the smallest of the small companies in there might be two and a half or three billion dollars in, you know, market cap. And, you know, that's a that's a peanut of a company. So even and, if you and, did, and the amount of capital that's allocated to those small companies is immaterial. So even if you did go public, right. Side. So even if you did go public, uh, who's going to want to buy your stuff when everybody just puts it in an index ETF these days? And, and, and in a large cap, it, it, you know, ETF at that most of the time the you know, there's probably double or triple the number of, uh, you know, large cap. Uh, oriented ETF to the small and mid cap. So if if you're talking about this push towards passive, I don't even know that the the people are out there that would want to buy a, a small company IPO at the moment. I think you're right, Matt. I think that you know the passive large cap index trade is such a crowded trade that it's probably reducing the amount of capital, just sucking all the capital into that vortex of cap weighted index, like a bombo cyclone. Snowstorm. Like a what? Uh, forget about it. Yeah. It's, it's, I'm just a talking cyclone. nonsense over here. <laughs> well, hey, you know, check this out. I was reading the Wall Street Journal. This is in, uh, you know, this this past week's uh, Wall Street Journal. It's in the, either in the Friday or Saturday, you know, weekend edition. But from 2001 to 2008, Gallup took a poll. 62% of Americans at the time said they owned stock. Yet from 2009 to 2017, um, Americans only reported that they own 54%. So this goes back more to, you know, uh, you know, indexing and, and people aren't even uh, interested in stocks. Is this like the most unloved bull market in a long time? Well, one of the things that's happening it seems is, investors you know, are not companies... investing when, when they should be investing in stocks. Hey, the $4 trillion in capital that companies have used to buy back their stock competes with the regular investor. And, and, and the thing that's held the market together has been that four trillion buck. The private investor, you know, uh, you know, the guy on the street hasn't had a chance to buy stock because their companies are buying it back all the time. And so you're going to see some of that. You know, we saw it in the numbers. If the Investment Company this, Institute. Yeah, $1 trillion has left uh, U.S. stock mutual funds since 2012, and it's anticipated that only 40% made it back into passive index ETFs, by the way. Can you believe that? I can, because Investment Company Institute mutual fund and ETF flows indicate that investors have been selling through the whole period instead of buying while the market's been rallying. And that's typical. Investors 
sell when they should be buying and they buy when they should be selling. You know, investors are going to climb into this market. There's been plenty of people that have sat on the sidelines over the last eight or nine years because of the massive uh, bear market losses they took in 2000 through 2002 and the financial crisis of 2008. But, you know, the high returns and everybody around them making money is just about enough pressure to cause them to jump back into the market so, at the most overvalued point in history. So do you think that people should, instead of plowing all their money into passive ETFs, uh, maybe look at balancing that that approach to, you know, using a, a more active approach, you know, in, in mutual funds or ETFs here as they, they do think that, you know, clearly your crystal ball predictions say, hey, be aware that maybe in late 2018 or 2019, we could have a risk on type of event. But it would seem to me that if you're going to invest, you should take a more, you know, uh, you know, balanced approach to investing. Don't plow it all into passive. Use some of those active managers that can get you some of the participation you're looking for, but maybe they can protect you a little bit on the downside. Don't go to the active guy, right? After the market's already collapsed, you, you, you needed the risk protection before the market goes down and when the market goes down, not afterwards. You don't want to Monday morning wanna, quarterback your portfolio. You want to make a, a, a good decision there, right? Hey, you know, one of this uh, one of the things that come out of this uh, large cap uh, passive index craze has been the uh, uh, the whole idea behind this has been low cost. Drive the cost of investing down to almost zero because active does not outperform passive. Well, if the market's going straight up, it's tough for active managers to outperform passive. But here's the dumbest thing I've ever heard. So if I have a fee, uh, management fee, or an, a, a total expense on a ETF um, that is active, and let's say that it's 100 basis points, 1%. 1%, yep. And then, right, and then I have a fee on a low-cost passive index, and let's say it's 10 basis points, well, one-tenth of a percent. So there's a 90 basis point or nine-tenths of a percent differential. Now, if we take the average decline of the last 19 bear markets since 1870, the average decline's been 64%. Let's assume that this bear market doesn't take the average, the next bear market isn't a normal bear market. It actually doesn't go down as much. In 2008, from the high to the low, the S&P was down 57%. Let's just call it half, because it's easy to do the math. So if the market goes down 50%, and we have a less than 1% fee differential, if your active manager could protect your capital and trim the loss to down 10 or down 20, they've made up 30 or 40 years of fee differential. This idea of low cost being the driver of performance is the most ridiculous thing I've ever heard because the most important thing that you can do to give yourself a better performance profile is trim down market losses. All right. So, hey, great crystal ball predictions here today, Don. Uh, uh, a very spirited discussion about, uh, you know, uh, you know, uh, capital flows, IPOs. We covered a lot of ground here. We really appreciate you listening to uh, Bull Bear Radio, and we'll be back with you next week. Thanks, Don. Thanks to our listeners out there, uh, and, and we'll see you next week. This has been great. This is Bull Bear Radio, where each week you can count on our real market news and advice. Catch all of our podcast episodes at WBIinvestments.com. 
Past performance does not guarantee future results. The views presented are those of the podcast participants and should not be construed as investment advice. Podcast participants or clients of WBI may own stock discussed in this recording. All economic and performance information is historical and not indicative of future results. This is not an offer to buy or sell any security. No security or strategy, including those referred to directly or indirectly in this podcast, is suitable for all accounts or profitable all of the time and there's always a possibility of loss. Moreover, you should not assume that any discussion or information provided here serves as a receipt of or as a substitute for personalized investment advice from WBI or from any other investment professional. To the extent that you have any questions regarding the applicability of any specific issue discussed to your individual situation, please consult with WBI or the professional advisor of your choosing. This information is compiled from sources believed to be reliable. Accuracy cannot be guaranteed. Information pertaining to WBI's advisory operations services and fees is set forth in WBI's disclosure statement in Part 2A, Form 80B, a copy of which is available upon request.